Man, these guys are amazing. Are they not great? I stand back there and watch them rehearse, and I'm just like blown away. Hey, conversations with Jesus. If you could sit down and ask him anything, have a talk with him. Um, by the way, just those of y'all, I'm going to throw a little Baptist on you. That's number 84 in the Heavenly Highway hymnal that you just heard. You've always got one guy who thinks he's a bass singer, but he's really not, who does that, now let us. Yep. And it sounds just as bad when I do it as when he did it. Could you have a conversation with Jesus? What would you talk to him? I got to tell y'all, um, they tell you when you're preparing to preach, start well, end well, nobody cares about the middle. So I have to tell you kind of how this is going to start. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was having a pity party. Y'all ever had one of those? I'm not there by myself. Good. Okay, good. So I was having a pity party. My job was kind of making me mad. Life was kind of making me mad. And I was about to call Gary and be like, Gary, things are going bad at work, man. I'm not going to be able to be there on the 16th. And so I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and I decided it was a Friday night. Now, for those of you who don't know, on Friday nights, I'm not supposed to be in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm supposed to be in Cedartown, Georgia. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> ain't nothing that happy about Cedartown, Georgia. But I was in Birmingham, Alabama on a Friday night, and I decided that I was hungry, so I was going to Uber to my establishment of choice. That would be Buffalo Wild Wings, because you can find one almost anywhere. They may, they're going to go to Mars, and they may not find life on Mars, but they're going to find Dollar General and B-dubs. Okay? They're going to find those two things on Mars. Well, anyway, I Ubered. My Uber driver gets there, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to chill. Next thing I know, my Uber driver sees one of my tattoos and says something to me about it, and we're having a conversation. This dude starts preaching to me. I am not, not the preaching to me like you shouldn't have tattoos, like telling me his story and what God has done in his life. At this point, I'm mad at God. I don't want to have this talk. God's got me in Birmingham. I'm supposed to be in Cedartown where my kids are. I don't want to be here. And so we're having this talk, and I'm like, all right, cool, that's fine. So I go into B-dubs and watch reruns of Tennessee going 0-8 from last year. <laughs> Made my night a little better, quite honestly. So anyway, I Uber back. I've calmed down. My stomach's no longer growling. I feel better. My Uber driver this time has an accent. I said, yo, man, where are you from? He says, I'm from Africa. I said, I can tell. He said, what gave it away? I said, well, he said, I got it. It was my firm control of the English language. I said, something like that. I said, where are you from for real? He said, I'm from Liberia. I was like, oh, that's cool, man. I went to seminary with a guy from Liberia. We get to talking. He's asking me what I do. I'm telling him I'm a truck driver. One thing leads to another. Y'all, it's only six miles from where I'm going to where he's taking me. It sh we shouldn't have this much time to have a conversation. One thing leads to another. He says, oh, I know the family of the guy you went to seminary with. Well, this is getting odd. We get to talking. He says, how'd you start driving a truck? Well, if you've watched anything on, on any of my social media for the last year, you know, if somebody asks me a question, I'm just going to tell, like, I ain't got, I mean, I went through that moment in life of shame. Anybody ever been, had some shame? 
went through that moment of shame, and then I got to a point where I just kind of embraced, hey, I screwed up, this is who I am, this is what I did. So if people ask, I'm not going to hide it. Somebody once told me, you don't have to tell everybody your story, they don't need to know your struggle. And I kind of got to this place where it was like, okay, they don't need to know my struggle, but this is my life, and this is what I walk, so I'm not hiding it from anybody. Right? So he asked, and I said, well, I used to be a pastor. And one thing led to, and I explained what all had happened in my life, and so we get to talking, and he stops me, and he says, let me ask you a question. Is God pleased with you? So the theological side of me says, yes, God's pleased in me because I'm in Christ Jesus. The flip side of me, the fleshly side of me says, heck no, God ain't pleased with me. I screwed up. Before I could answer, he says, let me tell you why I'm asking you this question. Because you're talking to a pastor of 47 years. Okay, God, I get it. I got it. Uber driver over here is preaching to me, telling me from Isaiah, God's about to do something new in your life. He's giving you these promises. He's not done with you yet. This guy over here is telling me God's pleased in you. You've repented. You've turned. He remembers your sin no more. Here I'm trying to run, and God's throwing me in the belly of an Uber whale. But I got to thinking, and I knew the journey that I've been on, the conversation that I've had with God. See, here's the deal. A long time ago, six, eight months ago, I came to a place where I was good with accepting what I had done. But what kept me up at night was looking at the people who professed to love Jesus and to quote, and you can quote me on this one, do the right thing because it's the right thing, but still couldn't help but stomp me and kick me and look down on me. I kept asking God when I was laying awake at night in Denver or Cheyenne or wherever else that I was at, I kept asking God, what about them? What about them? And God brought me to this passage we're going to look at. And i got to be honest with you, I normally wouldn't read as much as we're going to read this morning, but i got to set the stage for you, and you got to get the entire picture. So we're going to read about 22 verses. I'm going to give you a little background Here's the deal. If you're a theologian this morning, you're going to come up to me later and you're going to say, you really missed unpacking some of that stuff. Yes. I'm not going to unpack all 22 verses because if, if I did, we'd be here a while. I'm not going to unpack all 22 verses and we're still going to be here a while. So in John chapter 21, here's what God's word says. Um, it's, it's a really cool story. So Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he's appeared to the disciples two times. This is the third time, and, he's, and John records how he appeared. But there's something I want us to see here. So here we go. Um, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. How would you like to be the two other disciples who you're not that important because your name wasn't recorded? That's me. Two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. The disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed the boat, 
towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and, the same, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time he appeared to his disciples after he had raised from the dead. Verse 15, Now when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What about them? I'm not going to lie, when you've gone through some of the journeys and some of the screw-ups in life that some of us have gone through, I know none of y'all at Action Church have ever had some of that, but when you've gone through some of that, you look for some things that give you hope. You look for some places in Scripture that give you hope that say, this is not who I'm always going to be. And so John 21, somewhere I've camped out for quite a while. But what I got to in John 21 as I was camping out there and reading this, and I saw Peter say, what about him? See, here's what had just happened. They're out fishing all night. Now, some theologians say that, that when Peter said, I'm going fishing, he was saying that because I've screwed up, I'm going back to my old way of life, and I'm going to go back to making a living, and I'm not going to walk with Jesus anymore, or I'm not going to be an apostle anymore. And, and really, we don't know that. That's just a lot of sermonizing. What we do know is that they still had bills to pay, and they still had to eat, so he said, I'm going fishing. They went out, they worked all night, they caught nothing, and then they come and they see Jesus the next morning. Jesus tells them to go cast their net on the other side. They catch all these fish, come up there. And then Jesus and Peter have this talk where they're walking. And, and we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But here's the thing. When Jesus says to Peter how you're going to die, basically, you're going to, you're going to die for me. And it's going to glorify me. This is how it's going to happen. Peter immediately says, what about them? See, here's the deal. A lot of times we ask what about them because we're jacked up and our focus is wrong. When we focus on them, we miss what he's doing in us. See, focusing on them is the wrong standard. The right standard is to look at what God wants to do in us. Check this out. Peter has denied Jesus. Now, I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know if you've popped pills. I don't know if you're in a relationship that the rest of the world says you ought not to be in. I don't know if you're a pastor who's fallen. I don't know what you've done that's got you in a position that you've messed up. But I do know this. I do know this. Peter denied Jesus. Said, I don't know him. I don't blanking know him. I don't know him. 
And that wasn't enough for Jesus to say, I'm done with you. Jesus came to Peter and restored Peter in this text. He asked him three times, do you love me? Do you think that it's, I don't know, coincidental that, Je- that Peter denied Jesus three times? And then Jesus asked Peter, how many times? Three times, do you love me? It's probably not coincidental. Probably not coincidental. So Peter's being restored in this text, but the moment that he's being restored, he misses what God is doing because he focuses on John. Here's the deal. He sees John walking. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. How many of y'all have looked around and seen some Johns following you around to see what's going on in your life? How many of y'all want to throat punch them sometimes? Let's be honest. I'm not going to lie. There's times I look at people, and this is what I want to say. I know the skeleton's in their closet. I know what's going on in their world. But when I focus on them, this is what the Lord told me. When I focus on them, I miss him. I miss him because I'm looking at them. And in this text, Peter is once again walking with Jesus. Jesus didn't say, I can't use you. I don't want you. You've screwed up too bad. Jesus said, I'm going to let you glorify me the rest of your life and even in your death. When we focus on them, we miss it. And it's so, can I just be honest with you? It's freeing when you quit caring about them. It's so freeing. You know what happened to me? I'm just going to give you some personal example this morning because that's all I can do. Give you some scripture, some personal example. What happened to me when I quit worrying about them? I started sleeping. I thought it was the mattress in my truck. Who knew? But I started being able to sleep again. It was like I'm not, I don't wake up in the middle of the night just like in sweats and just angry. I just, cool. Somebody asked me the other day about somebody that had said some things about me, and here's the reality what they said about me is true. I just want to make sure they spell my name right. Because of the reality, I don't care what, they can say those things, but if I'm focusing on them, man, I'm missing what, God's done some stuff in my life with some Uber drivers lately. My point is, when when I'm focusing, when you focus on all of those who look down on you, man, you miss it. But you know what we do, why we do, why we do what we do? Why is Peter in this position right now? Now, See, I'm going to tell you, some of what I'm going to say today, you're not going to like Why is Peter in the position where he's having to walk along with Jesus, walk alone with Jesus, and have some one-on-one restoration? Why is he there? Because before the crucifixion, Peter did some things, didn't he? See, we like to say this. The penalty of sin was paid for at the cross completely, and it is. The consequences of our sin, however, still remain at times. So Peter's walking with Jesus, having to have this moment of restoration with Jesus because of what he had done, right? Can I show you something, though? In Matthew 26, 52, let me tell you what the Scripture says. I may be off a verse or two, but in Matthew 26, the end of 26, the Bible says this, that when Jesus was arrested, all of the disciples fled. When John's walking and following along and looking why is John doing that? Is it necessarily because he just wants to see what, what's God going to do in Peter's life? What's he, is he going to get him? Maybe. 
Maybe. But you know what? Maybe the people around us who look at us and want to know what we're going through and the them that we're worried about, maybe it's because they need to see what God's doing in our life because they're just as guilty of some of the same things that we've done. They need to see what we're, how we're reacting to what God does in us. Here's what you're not going to like, though. You ready? Peter's in this position, and he says, God, God, Jesus tells him, you're going to die. You're going to die. And Peter says what? Thank you, Jesus. No, what did he say? Lord, what about him? See, in other words, if I got to die, what about him? Is he going to die too? Can I just tell you something? Life's not fair. Get over it. Jesus says to Peter, what's that to you? If I want him to remain until I return, that's none of your business. You just follow me. Life's not fair. Get over it. We, this is not political. You, you can't have an even playing field because that's just not life. We live in a broken, fallen world. Some of that broken fallenness is because of my sin, your sin, everyone. So we live in this world where it's never going to be fair. We just got to come to a place where you say, you know what? It sucks, but it is what it is. Get over it. But I want you to see something else. I want you to see something else. In this text, three times Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me? First time he's asked, do you love me more than these? What are the these? Are the these the 153 fish you just caught? Are the these the other disciples? We don't know, but you know what we know? Three times he's asked, do you love me? Three times he's, he's told to feed my sheep or care for my lambs or feed my sheep, right? Watch this. When we flip the page and we get into the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people are added to the church... Who's the person who spoke? Then Peter, being filled with the Holy Ghost, stood up and began to speak, Men of Israel, these are not drunken words as you suppose, for this is only the third hour or 9 a.m. And while 9 a.m. may not be too early for some of you to drink, it was for them. You're only laughing because you know it's true. Now you're laughing because you're like, He got me. Oh, snap. He was preaching, now he's meddling. My point is this, regardless of your past, regardless of where you've been, God still has a plan and a purpose for your life now. Regardless of where you've been. See, don't worry about the them. Understand this, regardless of where you are or what you've done, God still has a plan and a purpose for you. Get this, if there wasn't the denial, there wouldn't be the, the restoration. If Peter had not denied Jesus, now somebody's going to hear this on the podcast and they're going to say, well, he's making an excuse for being able to sin. No, you idiot. I'm saying that Romans 8.28 says God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means he takes the, my screw-ups and your screw-ups and he turns them in a way that only only the God of the universe can to bring good out of them. That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying that regardless of your screw up or regardless of my screw up, we still have a plan and a purpose. Get this. The denial became the basis for the declaration that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. Listen, it's not about making an excuse for your past or an excuse for your sin. It's about coming face to face with the God of the universe who says, I will never turn you away because I've given you my name. That's what it's about. 
We're worried about them when they're not going to be the ones standing with us on judgment day. They're not going to be the ones to whom I answer for all eternity. They're not the ones who paid the penalty of my sin. And they're not the ones who redeemed me and gave me a future and a hope. See, what the enemy meant to destroy you, what the enemy meant to destroy you in your sin and in your own choices, God said, oh, no. (laughs) What MGK thought, no, never mind. I was about to start preaching, but he's still being my shadow. What the enemy meant to destroy you, God said, I'm going to step in. And you may bruise the heel, but I'm going to crush the head. What the enemy meant to destroy you, God stepped in and said, I'm going to redeem your past, and I'm going to redeem your screw-ups, and I'm going to give you a purpose. And can I tell you what, listen, if you don't get anything from this, get this. When you get this, then you can do what Peter did the rest of his life. Nowhere else in Scripture is it recorded that Peter denied Jesus. What we see is Peter standing with boldness. And there's some of my more charismatic brethren are going to say, yes, the difference is that he now has the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and you're right, he does. The Holy Spirit fell on him. But what I'm going to tell you in addition to the Holy Spirit is, Peter came to a realization that he still had a, power, he still had a plan and a purpose, and Peter came to this realization as well. After you're told you're going to be crucified and die for your faith, what do you have to lose? you got nothing to lose. you got nothing to lose. Can I tell you, those of us in this place, most of us know what it's like to be on the mountain and then lose it all because of our own choices and be in the valley. And we know what it's like to be picked up by the grace of God. What do you have to lose? You've already been there once. you got nothing to lose. you got nothing to lose. When you realize that God still has a plan and a purpose for you after you've screwed up, let the haters hate, baby. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love people, and I'm going to take action. But what if you do it in a way that's different than it's ever been done before? Time out. So you mean to tell me that the eternity for someone, that, that someone's eternal soul has to only be reached in a way that we've done it before? Listen, statistics tell us that on any given Sunday, 50% of the churches in America could close their doors for the last time. If I'm not mistaken... The definition of insanity is doing the same thing we've always done and expecting different results. Now, I'm not really a Bill Ingvall fan, but here's your sign. (laughs) See, this is the thing. When people look at you or look at me and they want to judge us, they want to look down on us, or they want to walk behind and see what God's... How, how's God... This is, this is the other thing. You know, I don't know if this is what John's doing, but y'all know why people watch us? Those of us who have screwed up, you know why people walk, walk around and watch us? You know what they really want to know? Is God going to get them? That's what they're wanting to know. Because at the end of the day, we all have a hungering for justice. Do you know why we have a hunger for justice? Because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that we were created in the image of God. And one of the very characters of God, characteristics of God, is he is a just God. That's why in the book of Exodus it says that he can't allow sin to go unpunished. But that's also why he sent his son Jesus to hang on a cross between heaven and earth and to pay the penalty of sin so that sin would 
be punished. In fact, Scripture says it this way, that he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us. Why? So that we might know the righteousness of God. It's not so that we can live holier-than-thou lives. It's so that we can experience being made new and being made to be righteousness. That's why. And so even after our mess-ups, God has, and we repent, God has forgiven us, and he still has a plan and a purpose. And too many of us want to be shelved and want to be sidelined by the enemy because we're, we think that God's done with us. There are people all around this community who think that, no, let me back up. There are people in this room who will amen and clap for that because everybody else did, but you don't believe it. You don't believe it. It took a Liberian Uber driver to get me to believe it. Y'all, y'all laugh. I'm dead serious. I was about to call Gary. Be like, Gary, I'm done. I can't do it. Gary was going to try to talk me out of it. I just know that. He'd, no, he would have said something like this. Oh, you idiot. <laughs> Am I right? How many of y'all have had those talks with Gary? Yeah. Yep. Where he makes you so mad. But then you think about it and you're like, He's probably right. That Liberian Uber driver that night, and he pointed out to me and he said, this is what he said to me. I'm just going to tell you my, our conversation. I don't really tell people this. This is, my, this is our conversation. He said, is God pleased with you? I said, well, theologically, yes. He said, no, 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 not theologically. None, don't separate it. You know, he said, you know better than this. You're, sem- you're called. You're seminary trained. Don't separate it. <clears throat> See, I can argue with anybody. But then he takes my argument away from me. He says, God, please with you. We have this conversation. I said, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm in Christ, so he's pleased with me, and we're talking. He says, so there are thousands of churches around that need pastors. I said, yeah, but nobody's going to want me because I'm a divorced guy, and, you know, I screwed up, and I did this. And he said, did God call you? And I said, yeah. He said, has God changed? I said, no. He said, so did God make a mistake in calling you? <laughs> See, I don't lose arguments. This is not my style. So I had to, I, I, I didn't lose, by the way. My name is Grady, which rhymes with Shady. Nowhere in there does it sound like Machine Gun Kelly. Because he took that L, not me. Some of y'all right now are thinking, what's he talking about with Shady and Machine Gun Kelly? <laughs> Ask your grandkids. So, <clears throat> my point being, I conceded. We'll go with that. I conceded that he was right. So I never made that phone call to Gary. Because I realized this. God still has a plan and a purpose. And here's the thing. Most of us stop right there because we want to know exactly what that plan and purpose look like instead of just doing what Peter was told. And we'll get there in a minute. But instead of just following him. Peter stands up on Pentecost and he preaches. And then in the book of First Peter, get this, this is what's so great. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter is writing to believers who have been scattered across the Roman kingdom, and they've been scattered and because of persecution. And so Peter is writing to them in the book of 1 Peter to tell it to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. Why in the world is Peter the one who's chosen to write in the midst of suffering? Because can I tell you something? 
Peter, we see, even in this text, we see Peter's shame come out and his desire to get to Jesus because he didn't even wait for the boat to get back to the shore. What did he do? He threw his shirt back on, jumps in the water, and gets, swims the 100 yards to get there. He out, he out Phelps Michael Phelps to get to Jesus, right? He gets there. Why? Because he wants to be with Jesus. Why is it when we're ashamed, who do, who's the only person that can bring us comfort? It's Jesus. And then he's told, you're going to suffer. And then he gets to write a book about suffering. And then he gets to preach. And 3,000 people come to know Christ. Then it becomes a pillar in the church. Can I tell you this? Peter's prepared for that because your greatest misery becomes the platform for your greatest ministry. Your greatest misery becomes the platform for your greatest ministry. Listen, I can promise you this. If you're a recovering addict in here, you look at addicts a whole lot differently today than you did before you became a recovering addict. If you're divorced in here, you look at divorced people and remarried people a whole lot differently than you did before. Listen, I was a youth pastor, and I would speak at conferences, and I would say I would give statistics. At the time, the last, the last statistic I saw, it said that 7 out of 10 children in the United States of America do not live with the biological mother and father that brought them into this planet, or onto this planet. And I got to thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, how sad is that? But from a, from, and, and that's a great stat, but here's what that really means for, for ministry. What that really means is when I'm planning an event for students, now I've got to figure out, okay, is it mom's weekend, dad's weekend? How many kids am I going to have? Da, 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 da. You tracking with me? I can promise you this. When I became divorced, I tell my dispatcher all the time, I don't care if you get me home every other weekend, but the weekend that I got my kids, you better have me in Cedartown on Friday. You know why? Because it means something to me now. I understand the struggles a little bit differently now. See, I can say I understand it, but until I live it, and somebody's going to hear that on a podcast, say, oh, well, he's saying that you have to go through all this junk to be able to understand. I'm going to say this. You may get it, but you don't get it until you've been there. There's something about experience. That's the whole reason Blackaby wrote that little study that's kind of gone worldwide called what? It didn't say called knowing God. It didn't say, it wasn't, it, what was it called again? I think it was something, all the Baptists do it and some of the good Methodists. And exper- oh, experiencing God. So we say we don't have to experience everything, but we tell people to experience God. That's called a double standard and it doesn't work. So here's the deal. Your greatest misery will prepare you for your greatest ministry. If you don't worry about them. See, if you worry about them, the enemy still wins because he sidetracks you. See, in this passage right here, if, if Peter had stopped and argued with Jesus, by the way, you can argue with Jesus all day, but it never, you, you're not going to win. That's a nail I'll take. You're not going to win. If you argue with Jesus, you're going to lose. But look what he said. He could have argued and said, if I want him to remain, until, but that's not fair. No, what did he say? He just... The text keeps going, just moves right along because here's the deal. He got it. If I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? You follow, what did he say? Follow me. I can tell you this. I'm just going to be very blunt and honest with you this morning. And probably funny at some things as well, but I was a pretty prideful and arrogant person, meaning this. I used to tell people it didn't matter if you were in a, in a room full of 50 or 50,000. You can put me on, not that I've ever spoken in front of 50,000, but okay, let's, let's be real. In front of 30 or 3,000. You put me on stage, and, and it didn't matter if it was students, adults, or a mix. Give me about five minutes, and I could have them in my hand. 
and that's a gift. But, but when you know that, and you begin to operate in that, it, instead of using it as a gift, you get very arrogant and cocky and prideful. And then, when you let sin get in your life, and you're cocky, and you're arrogant, and you're prideful, and when you make ministry nothing more than a, an exercise in academia, you're, you're creating an atmosphere for the perfect storm. That when, be sure your sin will find you out, when your sin finds you out, the pedestal that you and others have put yourself on it's a whole lot longer of a fall to the bottom. Okay? And so when I walked that journey, and I got knocked off the pedestal, I got knocked down, and people kept telling me to embrace humility. Let me tell you how, people don't tell you, we love you and we want to see you embrace humility. The way they typically tell you to embrace humility, have you ever seen a gang jump in? where like four or five of them at one time come at you and start punching you and then you're on your ground covering up and then they're like kicking you while you're down? Anybody ever seen that? Some of you are like, seen it, man, I've been in it. Okay, let me explain something to you. Christians will make the Latin kings, the bloods, and the crips look like punks the way that they beat their own. Because this is how it happened. Embrace humility. Embrace humility. Embrace humility. Crap, I'm not trying to embrace you. I'm trying to stay alive right now. Right? I'm just trying to stay alive. I'm not trying to embrace anything. I want to embrace humility, but all I can embrace right now is covering up because you're punching me. And so I got to that place. And I finally realized something, that it was in that low moment, in that moment of misery, where I realized that, you know what? My greatest ministry is not because I get to stand on a stage anymore. My greatest ministry now is because where I looked past people before, I get to look at people now. My greatest ministry now isn't because I get to speak or Gary asks me to fill in every now and then and tells me, puts a lot of pressure on me, and he says, I said, hey, Gary, I'm thinking this. He says, I don't care. Don't suck. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. He's never told me not to suck before. Which kind of makes me wonder, did I suck the last time? or did? I... Anyway, my greatest ministry though now is that I don't, get to, I don't get to look at labels and I don't get to look past people. I get to look at people and look into people and see their lives and hear what's going on and listen to their journey and listen to their struggle. Because it's easy when you're standing up here and you're on that pedestal. It's easy to look at people and tell them what they ought to do. When you're trying to walk it too, it's a whole lot easier to have, it's a whole lot more likely that you can be sympathetic with them and empathetic with them because you're walking the same journey they're walking. So your greatest ministry, my greatest ministry is not because I'm on a platform, it's because I get to look at people and see people where they are. Well, <clears throat> what set this whole stage is this. I think it's in verse 6. Chapter 21, verse 6. Look at this. He said to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They fished all night. You don't think they've thrown their net on both sides of the boat all night? 
I mean, it's not like a motorcycle or a horse that you only get on the left side. They've thrown their net. They're thrown all, all, all night. Throw your net on the right side, you'll find some. What'd they do? They threw it on the right side, and they found something. Can I tell you, when you're in the midst of the misery, in the midst of the battle, just like they had, where they'd toiled all night long, you don't know what God's doing under the surface or behind the scenes. You think God didn't know? You think Jesus didn't know that there was a school of 153 fish that they were about to pull into that right when he told them to throw it on the right side? This wasn't a flip a coin, maybe you'll get lucky. This was the God of the universe in human form commanding them to throw the net on the right side of the boat and promising them, you'll catch some fish. Can I just tell you, I don't know what the fish in your life are going to look like, and I don't know if there'll be 153 of them, and I don't know if the nets will almost tear. I don't know, but I do know this. You don't know what God's doing behind the scenes in your life and in the lives of those watching you right now. But I can tell you this, he's still working because the Bible says in the book of Colossians that he is the, he's the creator of all things and he is the sustainer of all things. That word sustainer means that it's an active, ongoing, continual process. He's not done yet. He ain't done yet. He's steadily working. You can't see him working. I can't always see him working. But I know this. He's still working. And so I tell you that. I tell you that to get to the last point. Gary's never going to let me preach again because I'm going to finish so much earlier than he is. And people are going to think, what in the world? I tell you that to tell you this. Forget them, follow him. Forget them, follow him. Okay, Grady, that's great. That's a good Baptist sermon. What does that, what does that mean? First of all, don't cuss at me. Don't use that B word. Some of y'all get that later. What does it mean to follow him? How do we do that? Grady, I've tried to follow him, but it's just so hard. I, I, I try, and then I, and then I fall. I try, and then I fall. Okay, good. The first time you ride, tried to ride a bike, you didn't quit when you fell either. You try to follow Jesus, and you fail, and you sin, and you fall. You know what you do? You get up and follow him again. But what about it when they, they tell me, oh, all you do is fall, all you do is fall, all you do is fall. Look at him and say, my name is not Machine Gun Kelly. I'm going to keep following Jesus. Keep following him. Get up and keep going. But what about when they quit worrying about them? They're not, they're, gonna, they're not your God. Can I just tell you this? When you worry about them, you become guilty of breaking the first commandment and having another God before him because you make the them an idol in your life. Don't worry about them. Follow him. But, but, but where he wants to take me is not where I want to go. doesn't matter. When you gave your life to Christ and became a Christ follower, you exchanged the title deed of your life for his grace. And you just say, here I am, send me like Isaiah did. You say, here I am, do as you will. Here I am, I'm walking this journey. Here I am. This is me. Follow him. How do I do that? Well, I'm going to tell you this. You don't lose weight by going to eating a half a gallon of bluebell ice cream every night, although that is the nectar of the gods. <laughs> You don't lose weight doing that every night. You can't follow God. You can't follow Christ without being in his word. So, okay, every time I hear a preacher preach, they tell me I need to read the Bible. Well, maybe you ought to try it. Every time I hear a preacher preach, they tell me I need to follow Jesus. Hey, there might be something to that. Every time I follow Jesus, they, or every time I hear a preacher preach, they tell me I need to pray and ask God what I ought to do. You might ought to try it. 
Listen, can I tell you something? I can't explain it. I really can't. I, I don't know how God does it, but I can tell you this. There's so much in this text that I didn't even, didn't even cover. But I can tell you this. I, I, I've spent probably the last six months in John 21. I've tried to, let me just tell you how this works in my life. I tell myself I'm going to read the book of Mark. So I read a chapter a day in the book of Mark. Read a chapter. I get to the third day in chapter 3. Read something in chapter 3 that, oh, that's cool. I have seen it before, but guys don't really show me that. And I'm, and I'm meditating on it, thinking about it. And all of a sudden, God, there's something within me that tells me to turn over to John 21. I'm like, God, I read John 21 for the last five months. Turn over to John 21. I see something I hadn't seen before. I can't explain it. The Holy Spirit works in our life. If you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit works in your life. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts and divides the joint and the marrow. And God just speaks into us through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. And I can't explain how it happens, but I can tell you this. If you want to follow Him, you better be in the Word. The last, one of the last times I preached, I challenged you to read a proverb a day for an entire month. Several of you texted me or messaged me and said that you did that, or you asked me to hold you accountable, and I tried, and there were days I would get behind, and then I'd have to catch up. And, and so here's my challenge to you today. I'm not going to challenge you to read a certain book. My challenge to you today is this. Commit to giving yourself to at least one chapter from something a day. Make it a habit. You say, but, but isn't that legalism? Can I just tell you, the legalism is the fact that you keep going back to what you've been going back to because you're saying this isn't working when you've never tried this. That's legalism. You're going back to your old ways. Grace says, okay, you screwed up. Get up and do it again. Get up and get back in the Word and follow Him. But when I fall, it hurts. You know how to fix that? There you go. How do you fix the hurt of falling? Quit falling. How do you make it where you don't fall? What are the training wheels that you have, so to speak? The training wheels are this. You have people that are like-minded around you, like the people here at Action Church who understand grace, who aren't going to kick you when you're down, who aren't going to beat you when you're down. You have people like Action Church around you who are going to encourage you and lift you up. You have people like that around you. Another training wheel is that you have the Holy Spirit who's going to comfort you. And by the way, can I just explain something to you? One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin, so you will never sin without knowing first that you're sinning. I did not know. You're an idiot. <laughs> you either knew and chose to ignore, or the flip side, and this is serious, you're really not a Christ follower. Because if you're a Christ follower, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, He's not going to let you sin without knowing that you're sinning. Bottom line. So you've got people like Action Church around you, you've got the Holy Spirit within you, and you've got the Word of God in front of you. Those are some pretty good training wheels. What about them? I had this, this dream, if you will, or this... It really wasn't a dream because I was awake, but I hesitate to say the word vision because some of you might get twisted on that. But I had this daydream, we'll go with that, that I was sitting down at an establishment that serves alcoholic beverages, and I was looking at this guy beside me, blue eyes and long flowing hair and a beard and... Y'all tracking with me? By the way, Jesus didn't, probably didn't have blue eyes, probably didn't have blonde hair. Just throw that out there for you. I've yet to see very many blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jews. 
Anyway, but I'm sitting there. having the, My daydream was I had this conversation with this guy over an adult beverage. Because um, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but there's adult beverages mentioned in the Bible. <clears throat> in fact, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into what? Wine. Some of y'all are thinking, yep. <laughs> right? But here's the deal. And just as a little history lesson for you, for everybody who says that that wasn't alcoholic, they don't read all of John chapter 2 because here's what John 2 says. They find the master of ceremonies and they say, wait a minute. Or they, the master of ceremonies finds the host and says, wait a minute. Normally everybody puts out the good stuff first and then... After everyone is, oh, dog. <laughs> After everyone's what? Say it a little louder for me. Drunk. Drunk. They put out the cheap stuff. But you've done what? You've saved the best for last. And this is free. This is theological. But let me just throw this out there for you. That just goes to show us that when Jesus came on the scene, everything else paled in comparison. He is the new wine in new wine skins, And he does everything with excellence. So what that means is when he forgives you and gives you a plan and a purpose and removes your sin as far as the east is from the west, it's done with excellence and it's done with greatness. And it's done because he wants you to know that you can forget everything and everyone and just follow him have a one-track mind and follow him follow him follow him follow him what does that look like here it looks like don't worry about all the junk on social media can I just be honest man Gary posts stuff sometimes and some of y'all get twisted off about it and you start arguing with people around the community and start da, 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 da. dude who cares can I tell you something that church over yonder or that church over yonder or that group of believers over there whatever if they're reaching a group of people let them reach them if this group over here is reaching that let them reach them if they want to whine about the fact that there might be a wrestling ring in here occasionally, or if they want to whine about the fact that there's mirrored poles. Somebody just snorted. Somebody just laughed over here so hard they snorted. If they want to whine about that, who stinking cares? Because can I tell you something? This place, God's put this place here and called you to love him, love people, and take action who may not fit anywhere else. And you may be in, quote, Canton's ghetto, but can I tell you that there's no ghetto in heaven, and if the people you reach in the ghetto come to know Christ and become Christ followers, they're not going from the ghetto. They're going from the ghetto to the mansion. Follow him. You say, but, 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 but what about in my own life? You're talking about everybody else, but what about in my own life? Can I just, listen, if you'll live the plan and the purpose that he's got for you, which is follow him, can I just tell you, if you'll live that plan and purpose, that you're going to experience some greatness like you've never experienced before? Peter may have gone to a cross, and tradition tells us he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Christ. But can I tell you, he may have died and he may have suffered, but he had every opportunity to recant, and he didn't. And you know why he didn't? Because he knew that following Jesus was greater than anything else because he got to experience the presence of the God of the universe in his life. And he knew that when this world was over and that these groanings and these, these pains were only temporary, he was going to experience, like Paul said, a glory that was incomparable. 
I don't know about y'all, but we sang that song earlier. I'm, lo- I'm longing for that day with no more tears and no more pain and no more fears and no more dispatchers. Oh, wait, that's nothing else. But I'm longing for that day. No more bad rappers. And for all you hairstylists, no more bad hair colors. You see people try to ombre their own hair and you're like, did you walk through a fire? I saw somebody yesterday who looked like they had somebody pick them up and stick them in a bowl of Kool-Aid like upside down. It's a whole new meaning to a swirly. What about them? When I asked that question, by the way, when I asked that question, it was more like this. It wasn't, God, what about them? It was more like gritting my teeth. I'm mad at God, and I want to know what about them. In fact, I can tell you, I asked this question. Gary will tell you this if you ask him. I, I, I said, how long am I going to have to suffer at their hands? Because see, at some point, you go from suffering because of your own mistakes to suffering because of what everybody else is doing. How long am I going to have? What about them? And I got, got mad at God. You know what's crazy about that? God never said to me, go fix your attitude and then we can have this talk. I tell my kids that all the time. (laughs) Fix your attitude, then we can have this talk. Anybody else do that with your kids? God never said that to me. You know what he said to me? He just kind of let me stew on it for a little while. He never sent me to my room, to the corner. He just brought me a Liberian pastor who drives an Uber. (laughs) Y'all are laughing, I'm dead serious. He brought me a Liberian pastor who drives an Uber who said, God's still pleased with you. God's not done with you. God's still got a plan and a purpose. This misery will become part of your greatest ministry. God showed me this himself in this text, and he said, forget them, follow him. This week, I want to challenge you to forget them. Follow him. Say, I don't know where to start. Let me tell you where to start. Right here. You ready? Bam! Right there. You open that first. Say, I did the Proverbs challenge. Okay, start in Psalms. Read a Psalm a day. Read five Psalms a day. I don't care. Start in the Word. Psalm 1 is going to tell you how happy is the man who walks in the way of righteousness and how the one who doesn't walk in the way of righteousness is going to be destroyed. It's going to tell you. What's that, what does that tell you? If you start with Psalm 1 you read that, what's that tell you you ought to do? Probably walk in the way of righteousness, right? Like, I'm tired of hurting. Okay, we'll do the right thing. Why? Because there's promises of God in doing it. Forget them. Follow him.